Amen. You may be seated. Wow and wow. Um, yeah, he deserves to be praised. It's kind of interesting as you, we close with that song in our worship. Our worship doesn't stop, does it? Because we're here to hear God's word. It prepares us to hear God's word um, this morning. And again, we're talking about Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, and what a beautiful story of what he does by the end of our time together. Before we start this morning, I just want to just kind of update you as a church. And just there's some things that happen in the world or happen in our country or happen in our culture. I think as pastors, we need to make sure we understand as Christians who love Jesus and are worshiping Jesus and are praising Jesus and are living the Christian life, we need to be made aware of. This past week, uh, the House of Representatives passed a bill called H.R. 5, which is the Equality Act. Um, if passed by the Senate, it is detrimental to the church. Understand this. I'm not, we preached in November of the, of the importance to vote biblically. And Christians, we failed. So here is the consequence. Here is what's coming down the pike. I'm not being fear, trying to fear you. This is reality, okay? This will define, redefine gender. God set up man and woman. Your XX or XY, bottom line. This will change that. Dads, this will set up opportunity for crazy wingnut men who think they're women to come in your girl's locker room. That's what this bill does. So I'm glad I have my kids in a Christian school. You may think of trying to pull them out if this happens to, to, to protect your children. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm saying this is a reality. This is happening as we speak. We were talking as pastors, like someone just knocked over a fire, a, a fire spigot, and it's like the wires, water's just shooting all over the place, and we can't stop it. I mean, do you ever wake up and like, like we're living in a twilight? Remember the twilight zone? It's like you wake up and it's like, where, where am I at? This will change the very fabric of our country for the church, brothers and sisters. There's no, it's no mistake that we are in not, we're in Daniel. We are living in a pagan culture. Oh, and by the way, the other part of this bill, and there's so much, so much garbage in this bill, uh, that if you are pro-life, if you support and you, pr and you protect the life of the unborn, you are practicing pregnancy discrimination. Again, twilight zone. Like, what in the world is going on here? But Christians, we understand here, as we hear, see with Daniel, we're here for influence. God never promised that our ride was always going to be easy. We are fortunate to be, live in a country that is, has the best freedoms of the, ever in the world and a democracy that was set up, I believe, by men who looked at the word of God to set up a government. And so I challenge you this week, as we the people, per our authority in this country, call your local representative and say, no way. No way. Can we do that this week? Church, this, this, is, this means what I am saying now, if it's law, your pastors who stand up against this, it's hate speech. And I will be fined or put in jail. That's where this leads. Do we understand that? This isn't just some law that this is what is coming if this is passed. We need to pray. But if so, I'm a chaplain. They'll take good, real good care of me in prison. All right? So if that happens, that's what happens. Right, Chris? All right, man. One of the officers up there this morning visiting us. So church, listen, let's pray right now just for our country and just pray that God does his will. Amen. 
Father, we come before you as we even begin the book of Daniel. We want to understand, Lord, you have us where we are for influence. If it means that we are persecuted and we are fined and we are jailed, then God, so be it. So, Lord, but we do pray that you would intervene and you would crush this bill, the wickedness of this bill, that is redefining what your word says. And as Christians, we need to stand up and we need to be counted for at this moment in time in our history. So do that in our country's life. We pray in your precious name. Amen. There's no mistake we're in Daniel because let's just recap what we've been learning this, uh, this, this couple of weeks. So, Andrew, I don't see the slides in the back. If you could put them on the back for me, i greatly appreciate it. So, Daniel chapter 1, what did we learn? Thousands of young people were being taken into captivity to Babylon, 800 miles away from home. Daniel and his three friends, young people, teenagers, being taken to captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar, a real nice guy, right? No, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice guy. He was a wicked pagan king. Daniel chapter 2, we see Daniel being put up the bat, per se. It's his turn to shine. He's now an influence. Now Nebuchadnezzar comes to Daniel. Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, listen, I can interpret that first dream. Daniel does it. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel, your God is the God of gods. Wow. Man, promotes Daniel, promotes his three friends into a higher position of authority in the Babylonian Empire. Last week, Brother Chris took us through Daniel 3, of course. That is the famous passage of Scripture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down to the 90-foot golden image that most likely looked like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, and he, he made a good point. Thousands, possibly hundreds, possibly thousands of young people were taken from Israel to Babylon. And Scripture mentions four that stood up for what was right. Now, let's just turn that back to culture today. We don't worship the God of Nebuchadnezzar anymore, but we worship the God of sexuality. We worship the God of abortion. Yeah, you know, I'm going to bow down. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go along with culture, but I can still go over here and serve Jesus. That's not what Daniel did. That's not what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. But we see after this, what did King Nebuchadnezzar do? What he seen, the, the miracle of protecting those men. Remember, there was a fourth man, pre-incarnate Christ, in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did Nebuchadnezzar do when they came out? Whew. Okay, I'm creating a law here. No one messes with their God. I will tear them limb from limb. I mean, I don't know what it is with Nebuchadnezzar tearing people limb from limb. It just is what it is. That's who he was. But he was protecting the God of Daniel. So it brings us to Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Have you ever been in a corn maze? This one looks pretty complicated. I, have, I, was, I used to take our teens when we lived in Pennsylvania to a haunted corn maze. Now, my kids would know that I'm probably the most scariest person in the world, meaning I, you jump at me, I'm like, ah, I'm scared, so I don't know why I would have done that. But here's a, a very complicated one. This is us for the state of Minnesota. My wife and I went to college in Minnesota for some time. So, Judy, I think there's still some of our friends are still lost in that maze because that is very complicated. But what is, it, what is a core maze? They give you this map before you go in, and you're trying to try to figure out how to get through. But when you're in the middle of the maze, what do you see? This is all you see. 
It doesn't matter where you're at in the maze. Well, listen, God's word is like that, particularly for the prophets. God gave them a plan. This is what I am going to do. I, God, am going to do for this particular society. This is what I'm going to do for the world. Here's the plan. But guess what? The prophets seen this as they're walking people through. Aren't you glad that we have a plan here, God's word? And, you know, even though we're walking through there, we know the ends on the other side and we're going to get there. And so Daniel, as we see here, as we get into prophecy, we're going to see this come to fruition. So Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, good old King Nebuchadnezzar. I heard a pastor say this once, you can put a pig in a parlor and it won't change the pig, but it definitely will change the parlor. And that is so true. And I think that's what we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, we see him making small steps of believing in Daniel's God. Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel interpreted the dream, your God is the God of gods. Daniel chapter 3, when he's seen the four men come out, or three men come out of the furnace, what do he say? No one touches their God. We've seen his heart being worked on. It kind of reminds me of the parable of the seeds, or the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8. When Jesus talked about there was a seed that's thrown on stony soil, on thorny, on hard soil. Can you remember back when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Was there some time that God was working on your heart? You didn't receive it right away. Why? Because your heart was, heart was hard or it was stony. Or it could not grab root because of the distractions. But then there was a time where the, you heard the gospel and the soil was right. And that seed took and you became a new creation in Christ. You see, for many of us, we are like, some of us in the world today are like King Nebuchadnezzar. All some of us, I believed in God all my life. And that's a true statement. We could say we believed in God. We might have been raised in some kind of religious background. And we could say, I was taught in church, believed God. I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Oh, man. Then you're, 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 you're a Christian. See, we're professors. There's many who are professors of Jesus, but they're not possessors. See, we can't say this. I have always been a Christian all my life. Can we? We can't say that. Because as Romans chapter 10 tells us, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised, us from, raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You see, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you cry out to God and say, God, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Save me. I, w- I want to live for you. The moment you give your faith, put your faith and trust in God, guess what? You are a Christian. You are a follower of the true God. And maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're, you're watching online, and you, God is working on your heart even as we speak. We want to give you an opportunity today to call out to that God. As we get to the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story here in chapter 4, you're going to see a man who's changed because of God's work in his heart. Maybe God is working on your heart. We want you to come to Jesus and put your faith and trust him to where you can leave here today or you can get up from your couch at home and say, I'm a Christian. I've become a follower of Jesus. So let's start with our story here in Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar is at the end of his 43-year reign in Babylon. And this is 25 years after Daniel chapter 3, and Daniel is about to be about 50 years old. I won't ask for a raise of hand of how many people are 50. 
because my wife will have... No, I didn't say that. Daniel 4 is written as an embarrassing time in Nebuchadnezzar's life. This is a, a, a story where God brought him low. And when I say low, I mean literally low. And you will find out why in a few moments. See, Nebuchadnezzar wanted this to be chronicled in, in the history of Babylon. Why? Because he wanted the world to know what happened to him, what change in his life occurred. Now, if he was joining Faith Bible Church, if he had to sit with one of the pastors, Pastor Frank or Pastor Mike, or if he was getting baptized, I would guarantee you we would hear Daniel chapter 4. This is his testimony. This is his testimony. So if you want to take your pens and right there in front of the chapter, this is Nebuchadnezzar's salvation, his testimony. This is how he came to the true God. So let's begin in our story this morning. Let's read verse 1. Again, we're going to read some portions and then we're going to overview just because of time and the amount of verses there is. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I want you to underline that phrase. We're going to come back and I'll tell you why in a moment. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders of the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So to set this story up, Nebuchadnezzar calls what? All peoples, nations, and languages. This is a global summit. Okay, so get the picture. He's just not sitting on his throne talking to a few of his, his, his employees in Babylon. He is called for a global summit. This is a state-of-the-world address. King Nebuchadnezzar has something to say to the world. And I I had you circle peace be multiplied to you. Okay, so the word peace coming out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth is not right. So people have to say, who is up there? Is that Nebuchadnezzar saying peace be multiplied? Remember the guy who tears people limb from limb, who throws people in the furnace? He's now telling the nations, I'm sure the nations were scared of of Nebuchadnezzar. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. No, peace be multiplied to you. And they're like, what's this mean? What's what's gotten into Nebuchadnezzar? Well, something has changed, and he wants the world to know. So I want to look at three observations this morning. Three observations that we can see from the life of Nebuchadnezzar and how his life was changed and what God did to change his life. Our first observation this morning is this. His change produced praise. His change, his change produced praise. Look what he did here at this global conference, this summit. Here's what he did. The first thing he said, verse 2. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders and that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdoms is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I love this. Okay, he's, he's getting ready to tell his story, but he's giving praise to God, and you'll find out why that is so important here at the end of our story. God uses, let's look, let's look back at our, the big picture. God uses four young men to be taken into captivity, to be an influence to a hostile pagan culture, so that 30 years later, the most powerful man in the world is using that influence to proclaim who God is. Yeah, amen, brother. Yeah, and God does that in all of our lives. He is at work in our lives to be influenced. It's time-consuming sometimes. God, what are you doing? It took Nebuchadnezzar 33, 30 years to come for his heart to be ready to receive this truth. Let me ask you this a moment. Has change, has the change of salvation produced praise 
in your life? You have to ask yourself that. For us to have been saved for several years, many years, sometimes that diminishes. We just get caught up in church things. We get caught up in things. We're reminded. We sing songs like, oh, praise the name. And we, and we're reminded how great God is. But we go through life complaining and gossiping and going through life. You know, all the things that we just kind of get catch up the world's doing. And people, I thought you were a Christian. You should be more happy. You should. Our change, the change of salvation that all of us who have trusted Christ, that should produce praise in our life. Do we praise God, just not when we're singing together here, but is our life a reflection of worship and praise? It should be. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen race. He's talking to the, to the church here. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You know that Jesus called you out. You are chosen. You are picked out by him. Should that excite you? I like being picked for a team. Like the first one picked, not the last one. And Kyle does that to me in basketball. He's like, yeah, come on, Jay, you can play on my team. All right? You, you're picked, you're chosen. This should excite you. What's to say that you may proclaim? That Greek word there, proclaim, means to announce the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, our life should be an announcement of who God is. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing right here in this global summit to the world. He's announcing this great God. Well, how did Nebuchadnezzar get to this point? Well, let's look at verse 4 through 18. And what I want to do is just kind of overview 4 through, 4 through 10, and then we'll read through what the dream was. So again, we, Nebuchadnezzar starts out, he's telling this story. He's, I, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, here is, I'm giving praise to God, but this is my story. Here's what happened. Well, we see verses 4 through 8. He says, he had a dream. It reflects Daniel chapter 2. I had this dream. I was fearful. I was afraid. And so I called my magi department, my wisdom guys, to come up and interpret this dream. Well, again, as the text tells us, they couldn't interpret this dream. Now, when we read the dream, we're going to read it together. And it's not rocket science of really what this, who this dream is about. But as you know Nebuchadnezzar and how nice of a guy he is, the wisdom department or the magi guys never wanted to give the king bad news. Because depending on, his, depending on his mood, off with your limbs, he may tell you, or out to the furnace. So they did not want to tell the king what this dream was. But look at verse 8. At last came Daniel. You would think, think about it with me a minute. Why wouldn't you go to Daniel at first? He's your dream guy. He's the guy that, like, told you what your dream was in Daniel 2 and interpreted it. So, but again, I think King Nebuchadnezzar was taking a step back. Years have passed, and so the, the reality of who Daniel's God was kind of just was suppressed. So he comes into Daniel, and Daniel tells of this dream. We'll start at verse 10. We're going to read through this dream together and the interpretation. I'm going to take some more observations. Verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in, my, in bed were these. Again, he's telling this story to the world. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heavens. It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruits abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the all flesh was fed from it. Man, I would want that tree in my backyard. That's like a sign of life. Here's what he said, though, in verse 13. I saw in the visions as I lay in my bed, behold, a watcher. Now, that word watcher, there's an angelic being. In the Hebrews, it's an angel, an angelic being. A holy one came down from heaven, 
And he proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast of the grass of the field. Let his mind change from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods, again, there you want to put seven years of time pass over him. The sentence is, is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may, be, may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will and sets over it of the lowest of men. So if you were to read this, this, this dream, who do you think this dream is about? Yeah, it's not rockets. Yeah, this, is, this is a king. This is about you. But Daniel had the fortitude of God and his spirit to tell Nebuchadnezzar this plan. So, you've already answered it. It's about Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go down to verse 22. Daniel tells the interpretation. He says just exactly how we have just said it this morning. It is you, O king. This dream is about you. This represents you. O king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. This dream represents the greatness of King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Now the chopping down is where it gets very interesting. So Daniel says, the chopping down of the tree there in the middle of 23 and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with dew of heaven and let his portion be of the beasts of the field and let seven times, seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. Look at verse 20. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with dew. Seven periods of time will pass over you until verse 26 that you may know that heaven rules your kingdom will be given back to you but you have to know who got you there our second observation this morning we see at the end of the story actually is our first point you know his change produced praise but as he's telling his story he learned this his pride produced humiliation his pride produced humiliation Look at verse 27. What did Daniel try to beg him to do? Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Please, Nebuchadnezzar, listen. If, here's the dream. But if you just stop, start practicing righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed, maybe perhaps God will lengthen your prosperity. See, we see after the first dream, he bragged on Daniel's God. You're the God of gods. Your God's the God of gods. And fell down and worshiped him. The furnace incident, he decreed that their God couldn't be touched. You don't talk about his God. But what happens after this dream interpretation? There's silence from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is going back. His heart is heart right now. His pride is just barreling through. Now, look here at Nebuchadnezzar's demise in verse 28. So the dream was interpreted. Daniel's pleading with Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, you don't have to go this route if you just give praise to God. If you practice righteousness, and you turn over your iniquities to him, and you show mercy to the oppressed, guess what? You don't have to go live with the ox of the field. Verse 28, and this, came, and this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. And the end of 12 months, a year has passed from the interpretation of the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to think about. 
or a lot to forget about. But on a side note, this is just extra this morning, doesn't it show how long-suffering our God is? A year? And we're like, no, crush him now, you know? But God does not operate that way. He's long-suffering. And a year went by. And here, here, here's what happened. He was walking on the roof of the royal palaces of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Yeah. Um, I think that was his downfall right there. So disregarding what Daniel told him 12 months prior, he looked at his kingdom and says, Look how good I am. Look what I have done. And remember in Daniel chapter 1, he had every, I mean, from a human perspective, he had, he had things to brag about. Babylon was, you couldn't penetrate the city, 300 foot walls, 85 foot wide. You had the river Euphrates flowing through Babylon. You had roads of that time paved in limestone with mosaic archery made through the roads. Just blows you away. They had the hanging gardens of Babylon, which the Greeks said was one of the seven wonders of the world. This, he, yep, I can brag on this. This is what I have done. He's accomplished a lot, but he's forgetting one thing who let him do that, and that is God. So let's continue reading our story, verse 31. So he's on his, get the picture here, he's on his roof, look how great I am. Look at me. Look what happens. While the words are still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. A year later, the dream is coming true. The king has departed, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among the men, and your dwelling shall be in the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven, circle that word driven, from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles, feathers and his nails were like bird claws now eagles feathers grow anywhere from seven to 12 inches long depending on the size of the eagle so it gives you an idea of how long his hair would grow and fingernails i don't know if any of you ladies have fingernails like claws just go just let your imagination roll with that he was driven out in a moment's notice again verse 16 says he was given the mind of a beast an animal just again sometimes we take the shock and awe out of these stories you see king look how great i am and all of a sudden he hears a voice he's down on all four to where he is driven out of his kingdom ladies you ever like a squirrel comes in your back get out of here get out of here you know maybe some of you guys do that i don't know um, but you try you try to push an animal away he was driven that's what this idea is he, get, get, get him out of here get nebuchadnezzar can you picture him walking on all fours out of his kingdom this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Can you, can you imagine the magistrates going home? Honey, you're not going to believe what happened at work today. You are not going to believe it. And the little kids come home. I heard King Nebuchadnezzar's out eating, eating with the steers and the ox. This is what happened. This is the shock of this story. The most powerful man of the world is now the lowest of earth. Call him ox man. Call him a human lawnmower. For seven years, this is what he did. Now, many, we call them historians, say that this is a fictional fable. Well, there's actually a mental health diagnosis 
that people can use with this. It's called lycanthropathy or lycanzoopathy, which means your mind becomes that of someone else or that of an animal. Now, we know God did this, but when people try to discount what God did, there is a medical condition. Look, for instance, here's our buddy Tony. Tony here actually believes he's a dog. I'm not, you listen, remember we live in the twilight zone now, so like anything could happen, so this is actually a true story, this is Tony. He eats like a dog, he sleeps like a dog, he barks like a dog, and we'll just leave it at that, okay? He thinks he's a dog. Church, understand this, Nebuchadnezzar, in his mind, was a beast, the beast of the field. Now again, Babylonian historians try to discount the story, saying it's fiction, and rightly so. We don't want to look down the oracles of history to the most powerful man in the world and say, yeah, there was a time in history he was like, out in the fields of this. I understand. They were protecting the king and the kingdom. So historians have come up with this particular statement, and they say this. There was a mysterious time in Nebuchadnezzar's reign where the queen ruled until he could rightfully take his throne. Okay. But, you know, I could go to Daniel chapter 4 and tell you what that mysterious age was. And for seven years, God was showing him who he was and who God was. So the question I have as we learn from this humiliation from Nebuchadnezzar is this. Pride always produces a consequence in our lives. See, pride is is, is a sin that we all in, in this whole room here this morning have struggled with since we've been kids to now. No, probably our consequence is not crawling out to a field and eating grass. However, the consequence we have seen in our life is because of that sin of pride. It could be a loss of relationship. It could be loss of a job, loss of respect, loss of a testimony, loss of a position. Pride is the downfall of every individual who continues to follow that path. We need to be careful. Your pastors need to be careful. Ministry leaders need to be careful. How many times can we stand up and say, look what I have done? It's not us. God wants us to do the same thing Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, you give God glory. Give God honor. So let's not let pride humiliate you. When someone comes to you that sees a problem in your life, listen to them. Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to Daniel, did he? Daniel said, listen, king, if you would just do this, man, you might not have to go through being a, an ox in the grass. So when that individual comes to you and says, hey, listen, brother, hey, sister, I see this in your life. Don't get defensive. Listen to them because it may be God protecting you and helping you see where your pride is. I love what Solomon says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And understand this, church, we have all been there. We all have testimony of when pride got a hold of our life. And we, there was different consequences for all those times of pride. And we're humiliated. We may be at the lowest point like Nebuchadnezzar. But I see a third observation that is encouraging for us. Because it's about God's grace. See, Nebuchadnezzar here, number three is this. His repentance produced restoration. See, his repentance produced restoration. Look at verse 34 as we close out our story this morning. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to the heavens and my reason. That word reason there in the Hebrew, it means understanding, knowledge, or his sanity. (laughs) Remember, he had the mind of a beast. 
It returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Do you think Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson? The first thing out of his mouth was, I need to get a haircut? No. I need to clip these nails. I need to get cleaned up. The first words out of his mouth were what? High and praise and honor to the one who lives forever. And in very, very particular, when you look at the language, he's not just talking about gods. He's talking about the true God. He was changed at this moment. And look, verse 36, he kind of, he, he tells us here, the end of the story. And at the same time when my sanity or my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and the splendor returned to me, my counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. How in the world does more greatness be added to the most powerful man in the world? How does that happen? But there is a God. And I believe as, 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 as I study this and I look at this and I see other theologians, his greatness wasn't his fame or his, his power, his money. I believe it was his spirit and his heart that received respect from those. He's standing before the nations, remember? The respect and the testimony that he had now in the kingdom that God gave him back. Remember, that stump that was cut off, God didn't destroy the stump. It was there. And he said, listen, when you give me praise, the kingdom is yours again. So church, does our change in our life produce praise? Are we a praiseful people? As we see Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of this global summit, praising God. In our lives, we know that our pride, it produces humiliation. And we've seen that in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He was humiliated for seven years. But we know when we get to that point, guess what? There's restoration when we repent. And all of us, maybe now we're going through, we're at work with our families, maybe there's pride in our life. Confess that pride, repent, and God's gonna, God will restore our lives. God will restore our relationships. How long were Daniel and his three buddies in Babylon before this happened? 30 years. You may be thinking right now, why am I where I'm at? Why am I at my job? Why, kids, why am I still at this dumb school? Well, I guess that would be homeschool, so you better not say that um, at this point. Why am I in my neighborhood? Why, why do I still live here? I, nothing's happening. God has you there for influence. Here, God put these four men in positions of influence for this moment here. I love, I'm going, I'm going to reference Peter again. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. He says this, The Lord has, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Are you been, have you been praying for someone for years and years and years and years, and you don't understand? You've been talking to them. You're an influence in them, and you don't understand? Guess what? Look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar. In God's time. He doesn't want anyone to perish. I know for, and sometimes we're like, you know, we read stories, we hear stories, God, why don't you just take him out? That's not our God. 
Because it says here, he doesn't want anyone to uh, perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So church, as we go through our lives, as we learn from Nebuchadnezzar, understand it comes back to this idea of influence. Chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's gone. His kingdom's done. Now it's Belshazzar. We're going to talk about Belshazzar next week, the second king in the Babylonian kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar here, through 30 years of seeing God work, God had to put him in a place for him to see who he really was. So church, don't ever question why you're where you're at. God has you there for a reason. And it could be one of those moments where you see someone come to Jesus, someone give their life to Christ, and guess what? All that pain and suffering that you felt you went through was worth it because God saved him. You know, we, we started out our, our message, began our message with just kind of, a, kind of a, a sobering thought about our country. It's kind of, it's scary, but it's also kind of exciting. You say, what? Because now we can shine brighter. Our influence can be stronger. And yes, it may not be light, it may not be light, but God has us where we're at and we could be lights and salt like Daniel and his three friends. And so church, and what, what it does too, it, it, it purges the church. It purges the church. There's individuals that are, y'all bow down to this, y'all do what the government, okay, but I'm going to worship Jesus over here. That won't happen when true persecution comes. You either have to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I'm just going to just go by the wayside and do my thing. And so we need to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if God allows us to go through this, then we push through understanding we have the master plan of the maze. And we know what our end game is. Because we want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? That's what I want to hear. And if we have to go through trial and struggle and persecution, I know the end game, I'm with Jesus. Right? Right, church? Amen? So continue to pray for our country, but whatever God wants us to do, we'll go through it, and we'll be faithful, and we'll keep each other accountable, and we'll keep each other faithful in this work of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, help us to be like Daniel's. I know that's a cliche I've heard all my life growing up into the church, but it's so true, particularly in this time and age in which we live. We must be Daniels. We must be Hananiah's and Mishael's and, and Azariah's. We need to be those individuals that will stand up when it gets tough, when we, we, are, we may be thrown in the fire and say, but there is a God that will protect us. There's a God that will be faithful. So as we close this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I I, I want to focus what we talked about, this idea of our, our, our change should produce praise. And maybe you're here today, and you're listening online, um, and you don't know Jesus. Uh, you're, you're, you're not a believer. You've, God's been working on your heart, like, like he was with Nebuchadnezzar, and you're just not there yet. Or maybe you are. I'm, I'm going to invite you, just where you're at in your seat, call out to God. God, come into my life. Save me. Change me. Forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. When you pray that prayer, you become a child of the king. He forgives your sin. You become his child. If you're there in your living room, do, do that. Call out to him because he is the only one that can save you. He's the only one who can get us through any struggle and trial. And he is the one that we will live with forever. And we want you to be in heaven with us. Christians, let me talk to you a moment. You may have to make a, 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 a stand of things that are coming. 
I want you to pray there in your seat, Lord, help me to be a positive influence for you in this world because things may get tough for us. You have to make that commitment yourself. I can remember snow camps and summer camps of coming forward and, and then altar calls are great and there's a time for them, but after the altar calls, we go home and we just go back into our everyday life. These commitments are done and we want to follow through with them, these commitments today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, until Jesus comes. So if you've made a, a profession of faith, if you called out to Christ today, please let us know. Let the friend who brought you know. Send us an email. If you're watching online, if you've prayed that prayer, we want, we want to celebrate and invite you to Team Jesus. That's what we want. We want, you, we want to be excited for you and give you the tools you need to grow in your faith. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, bless your church here. Keep us strong. Keep us steadfast. And help us, Lord, to trust you always. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So stand up, listen to the chorus of O oh, Praise the Name. Oh.